Welcome to the audiobook version of the novel Mercy Not Sacrifice by Dan Parks, read by the author. Chapter 3 Flower Shop The day before the funeral, an equilibrium had enveloped Gardenstown. The puzzled lives of the men and women and children painted a picture of what a small town in Missouri could be. At Linden Auto on Main Street, Owner-operator Sammy Linden had been on a mechanics creeper underneath a 95 Chevrolet half-ton. Sammy was a fat man with light beer for a belly, and to drop the oil he had to use a floor jack to fit himself underneath the pickup. After he'd pulled the drain plug, the flow of used oil overshot the pan, and three of the six quarts of oil got on his face. He rolled out from underneath and took a shop towel from his back pocket to wipe his face clean. It was then that the oil shot out of the piston on the floor jack, and it released causing the truck to bounce flatly to the ground. Sammy Linden knew something had been looking out for him that day. East of there, over at Gino's grocery store, Gino Tivioli was behind the counter. He was a second-generation Italian immigrant somewhere in his 60s. He had been raised frugal and ran his store so. A handsome, dark-complected man that never had married upon moving to Gardenstown 25 years earlier, but he never turned down the company of a willing woman. Inside the grocery, Willie Smith walked to the back of the store and ordered a couple pounds of beef brisket. In the display window, Gino saw that he was all out. Let me look in back, he said. Willie Smith waited with a patient look upon his face, but he kept his arms crossed. Willie was a small man with a pointed nose, and when he took off his glasses, his eyes would cross. He lifted and combed his hair over to cover the smooth, bald head underneath, but when the wind blowed, it would lift up like an open door. He knew that day, if he didn't bring back exactly what his wife Cheryl wanted, he would be in for it. In the cooler, Gino walked through where he kept the uncut halves of beef and hog. He organized it so the cuts would always be fresh and the stock worked in a rotation. When a pound left the counter, another would be pulled from the cooler to replace it. He looked in the back on the stainless steel shelves and on the wire cabinet by the door, combing through the wrapped pork chops, T-bones, and sirloins. About the time he had all but given up. He saw the brown cardboard box in the corner. He carried it out of the cooler to the relief of Willie Smith. Two pounds, right? Gino asked. Back on Main Street in front of the fish hook, Tripp and Jimmy had just begun to come to. Every small town had a drunk like Tripp and Jimmy, but it wasn't often that he happened to be a local businessman. It was a decade earlier when he had been known only as Jimmy when he had been walking off a drunk down on Town Hill. It also so happened to be the first day on the job for the newly appointed chief of police and the then quite young Wesley George. Wesley was a good-looking man with a crew cut and a pencil mustache. He was a good cop, but the power of the position grew on him over the years. His soon-to-be wife Becky had been filling her car at the gas station off Commerce and 3rd Street. She was young, with long, tan legs and straight and smooth oak-colored hair down to the arch of her back. That day, Wesley had paid more attention to Becky than the road as he drove Gardenstown's white and black Chevrolet Caprice, and when he turned on the police siren to impress Becky, it put a fright in Jimmy. In his drunken stupor, he thought the sound was either the rapture of God or a tornado siren, and he fell to his knees for safety from both. But the only penance he received was the front wheel of that police car over his leg. The city of Gardenstown got the settlement paid off a few years ago. The official diagnosis for Jimmy was a dislocated knee, that calls for total ligament damage and the paralysis of the perineal nerve in his left leg. He's had sort of a limp ever since. He couldn't lift his foot, 
and trotted more than stepped as he had to lift the entire leg when he walked and this caused him to trip on about every third step he took and the nickname Tripping was born. Trippin' Jimmy invested what he received in the town bar and once a local business owner, his outlook on life had changed. He was still drunk every day but it was now for work and it gave him purpose. Trippin' Jimmy had fixed his Baileys but couldn't find the coffee. He looked under the sink at the counter of the bar. He looked in the cabinets where he kept the long stem glasses. But then he remembered the shuffleboard game from the night before. The players had run out of sawdust, and Tripp and Jimmy had been quick on his feet when he offered a full can of instant coffee grounds as a substitute. He walked to the shuffleboard table and found the can of coffee underneath. He took hot water from the electric kettle at the bar and added it to the grounds, and the Baileys came alive with the added caffeine. He walked out the front door of the bar and looked to the sky. It's a good day to be alive, he said. Halfway down Market Street, and just before where the road skips over Main and stops at the river, is where the town flower shop is located. Off the sidewalk and through the big and old glass windows, the phone was ringing inside. Betty, Wendy said, can you get it? Wendy Heidelberg was a pretty woman in her middle 30s with a natural gray stripe on the side of her black hair. She was in the back of the shop, in the cooler, sorting through the stock of roses. Betty was the young woman who helped her. She was a college dropout desperate for a job and was lucky to have Wendy as a boss. Betty was a pretty girl with long blonde hair who had relied on her looks throughout high school but in college her reputation didn't transfer for credit and soon realized that she preferred to stay in the dream of a small town. She chose to live where she was known and could get by on the ease of the past. In Gardenstown she lived at home and waited to be taken care of by a man. Town flower shop Betty answered. She smacked her bubble gum against her lips. This is Betty. How may I help you? She listened for the caller's response. Whose funeral? She grabbed the pen out of the pocket on her apron. John Carmen's. Okay. She picked up the laminated reference sheet from the counter that was complete with a list of all the common flowers and what they represented. It listed the prices and pairings and a discount code for repeat customers. For funeral flowers, the common arrangements are, she said as she searched down the list with her index finger. Wendy had overheard the call in the back and quietly walked to the front of the shop. Often, she had to corral Betty, but did so in a graceful way. Wendy was a good teacher, as she knew when to push and pull so that Betty never gave up, nor gave in. Lilies, or the peace lily plant, also roses of which we have white, classic red, yellow, or pink. Orchids are a good choice, as well as mums, pink carnations, and the hydrangea, said Betty. Well, yes, lilies are very fragrant. When someone says this place smells like a funeral home, chances are there's a lily nearby. Wendy walked to the front of the counter. She smiled at Betty and beamed with pride as she lightly blew the dust off a nearby shelf. Betty looked confident and capable, and Wendy wished that she could see herself. Maybe then she would realize that she didn't need a man to complete her, but could add to the world all on her own. Okay, said Betty. So lilies and roses. Classic red is very common. It stands for love and grief. Wendy heard the customer thank Betty for the help on the order. We thank you for your business, said Betty. Betty tapped from the excitement of the call. As the pen that she'd used to write the order was in the corner of her mouth, she chewed on it when she looked up for Wendy's approval. Did I do okay? You did great, Wendy responded. Betty exhaled in relief. Was that for John Carmen's service? asked Wendy. It was. This has been a pickup in business, huh? Yes, it has, Wendy said. Wendy's shop had been barely holding on. A flower shop has three big days. Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, and funerals. The two holidays only come once a year. In a town like Gardenstown, funerals don't come often enough. Wendy's personal life hadn't been any easier. The child support had stopped coming, 
and she didn't expect to hear from her kid's father anymore. She had chosen to stop all contact and felt freedom from her decision, but she held on to a little guilt for knowing her children were growing up without a father. Don't worry about the business, said Winnie. The power company could come and shut the lights off, and the cooler wouldn't work, and our stock of flowers would spoil. But I would still have you with me in a garden somewhere, cutting flowers and making this town beautiful. Really? asked Betty. Yes. She raised her hands and spun around in a dance to convince herself of the words. Gardenstown needs beauty, and they need us, Wendy said. Even if we have to tell them they do, Betty responded. Both women laughed as they walked past the freshly cut flowers and out the back door to the lean-to greenhouse and continued their work in the back of the shop. Betty watched Wendy as she skillfully looked over the stock. Betty went to work watering and picking off the yellow parts of the peace lily plants. Who was John Carmen? Betty asked. John, Wendy replied, was a sweet man. He lived up on the hill north of town. He was a widower with a big family for the most part didn't talk to him. He came out of nowhere in my life and that of the church. Wendy pulled a pad of paper from the back pocket of her fitted jeans and took out a pen behind her ear and began to write. We are going to need to order more roses and lilies, Wendy said. Okay, Betty responded. What do you mean? How did John Carmen come out of nowhere? Betty picked up a rose stem and inspected it and threw it in the trash bin. It was early last spring, Wendy said, when John started coming to Mass and became a friend of Simon the Priest. Simon the Priest is a kind man, said Betty. He was good to my grandma when she was sick. He is very valuable to this community, responded Wendy. She stopped her work and stared ahead to recall from memory. He helped John become the man he could be. You see, John was a wealthy man, and once he knew that he was dying, he realized it was time to share. What do you mean, share? She filled a pail of water from the spigot. When he died, he gave all of his money to the school, responded Wendy. Wendy's eyes flooded with tears of joy. The best part was how he volunteered at the school. The budget had grown so small, and they were understaffed. He helped out there any way he could, in the library and cafeteria, and as a janitor cleaning and locking up at night. Emotions overflowed Wendy's eyes and poured over her face. She sat down on the outside bench, and Betty came beside her and placed a hand on Wendy's shoulder. He treated the kids so well at St. Michael's, and it was good for Glenn and Dan to see a man like him. What did he do? He took them under his wing, Wendy said. He was always there for them. I've never had a man help me without wanting something in return. Betty took Wendy's hand in her own, and Wendy squeezed it in return. John Carmen broke that cycle for me, Wendy said. Wendy's words washed over Betty as she tried to swallow the statement. He reminded me that love is still in this world. My best memory of John Carmen is when he helped with Glenn and Dan last Valentine's Day. How so? Drying her eyes with the collar of her shirt, she said, It was right before you started. The shop was dire. I had to do something to get business that day and took a gamble by advertising free delivery. It paid off as I was up to my eyelids in rose orders and I had a delivery list a mile long. That's when John Carmen saved the day. He brought pizza for the kids and made the deliveries while I stayed in the shop and worked the orders in the phone. How did he know you needed help? I don't know, Betty, Wendy responded. But he was the kind of man that was sensitive to what most people ignore. We need to do the best for his service, Betty said, to honor a man like him. Wendy turned to face Betty. I want you to take the lead on the lilies. Do you think that I'm ready? Betty asked. Let's show Gardenstown what you got, Wendy responded. The front door jingled when I walked inside, 
Both of the women stood up from the bench when they heard it, and Wendy handed the order list to Betty. Take note of the lilies and get to work. The typical arrangements? You got it, Wendy said. The sympathy sprays, remembrance bouquets, and heavenly angels. Wendy walked to Betty as a coach does to a player before the last big play of a game. You can do this, Betty. When Wendy walked out from the back, Betty began to believe in herself for the first time. Her shoulders relaxed, and her mind became determined as she went to work. I stood at the counter when Wendy came in from the back. Hello, Wendy said. May I help you? I'm here for some flowers, I said. What's the occasion? I stared at her eyes. They were the deepest, darkest blue. I had known of Wendy Heidelberg, but had never got to know her, which was a common theme for me in Gardenstown. I knew many names, but no one really knew me. A funeral, I said. What's the name? John Carmen. The pleasant look on her face changed to one of concern. That's right, she said. He was your grandpa? Yes. My hands grew heavy. Remind me of your name, she asked. Johnny Carmen.